What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out Podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares to set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys I was in Leavenworth with. We're going to be talking about life before prison, life in prison, and life out of prison. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that will help you knock down some of the prisons you've built up in your own mind. Folks, my guest today is Marcus Glover, fellow guy I was with at Leavenworth. Um, we were just chatting before this. Uh, Mark actually uh, is from Joplin, Missouri, which uh, is kind of from my neck of the woods. Uh, when I grew up as a kid, my uh, family's from Buffalo, Missouri, and then was Springfield, Missouri, and then we finally moved up to St. Louis, Missouri. So I know that whole Southwest Missouri area pretty well. And, and I still got a lot of friends down there. We go to Table Rock with uh, three of my guys I grew up with, and, and uh, we just get away for a weekend and try to act like we're teenagers again, which always ends up to be really something where you're sore. from. I think the last time we were down there, Mark, we skied. We did the jet skis. Uh, one of my buddies, uh, Mark Hunter, had this idea that he wanted to do a jet ski for 32 miles one way and 32 miles back. That was I had a hard time washing my hair the next day. I could hardly get my arms above my head. But, I bet. You know, I never, uh, I never did the jet skis until this year. And I'm going to tell you what, it, man, that's it, it's a workout. It is a workout, especially if you're doing it for a while. You know, if you just do it for a little while, it's all right. But man, it can it can make you sore. And the older you get, I'm 54. How old are you, Mark? I'll be 43 in just a couple weeks. Okay, so you 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 kind of got over the 40s there. So the 40s are good. You know, yeah. that's everybody says, well, you hit your 40s and then all of a sudden you're 50 and like, wow, there were guys I, when I was a kid, they were 50 years old. I was wondering if they were okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. It's, it, you look back and you're like, when you're a kid, 50s, like uh, your grandma and grandpa. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, now it's just us. It's just us. It's fine. We're okay. Just the, just the body yeah. gets older. Right. So, so Mark, um, you grew up in Joplin. Tell me, tell me about your life growing up as a kid, your family and, and siblings and what all you had down in Joplin. Um, so it was basically growing up uh, um, until I was about seven or eight. It was just uh, me and my mom and my brother. Yeah. Um, my mom and dad, they probably got divorced when I was like two. Yeah. Uh, lived together for uh, probably about three years after they were divorced. Um, and then he eventually ended up going to prison. Um, and so uh, it was just me and my mom and my brother for a long time. Uh, we had an older sister uh, that uh, my grandparents raised. Um, did you so have, kinda, you know, Mark, did you have any relationship with your dad at all? Um, I, I did. Uh, you know, I mean, what you could have as far as, uh, you know, him being gone. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, uh, there's substance abuse in the history. Uh, he was a severe alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, he was very, very abusive to my mom. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, things like, that. Uh, you know, I mean, you can try to base kind of a relationship, uh, but there's always those feelings that you kind of harbor. 
Yeah. Um, but I loved him because he was my dad. Sure. You know. Yeah. You don't pick and choose your parents. You live with them and grow up with them. So right. was was he away for a long time, uh, incarcerated? I, on and off, he did about five years. Uh, he was uh, he's kind of guy. Put him in the halfway house, and he'd run off. And, yeah. And uh, he 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 was never one to um, accept authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, he passed away uh, 50, 50, 51 years old. Oh, that's young. Uh, from alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah, that's young. So tell me a little bit with your mom and and your siblings. What what uh, what all happened when you? What'd you do for? How was school? What was that like? Um, so you know, um, my mom always did the best that she could do for us. You yeah. know, uh, we, we we never went hungry. Uh, you know, we never, we always had a roof over our heads. So even though we were poor and we struggled, we we still never went without. And so. You know, shouts to moms for for being the best mom that she could be and doing the best that she could do. Yeah, holding it together. I'm sure it was yeah. tough. Uh, school, school for me. I, I, you know, I did real well uh, up until I got into like middle school. Yeah. Um, and then I think maybe it was just like the uh, routine of going to switching classes. Uh, you know, you have to carry all these different books and all these different notebooks. And even though I was intelligent enough to do that, I did not want to take the time to apply myself uh, to do those things. So really, uh, I tell people it's it's sad to say, but, you know, my last grade of education that I really had good enough grades to pass was the fifth grade. Mm hmm. You know, I failed the sixth grade and they still passed me. I failed the seventh grade. They still passed me. Um, eighth grade, I got expelled. Uh, they still passed me. Ninth grade, same thing, got expelled. Uh, went to an alternative school, got kicked out of there. Um, and just, you know, I I just, I don't know why. I just had a, a problem with accepting authority, being told what to do. I did not want to bow down to that. So when all... Uh, so when- Mark, when all that was happening, um, what, 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 how did that affect your, your mom? And what was she trying to do through all that with trying to handle? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, as, as I've gotten older, uh, I've apologized several times, uh, <laughs> you know, for having to put her through that. Um, you know, it, it was definitely trying for her. Um, and at the time I had a stepdad too. So, you know, it definitely caused friction in their marriage between them two, because that's my mom. And, you know, she's going to try to stick up for her son. And then, you know, I got my stepdad who's trying to say, you know, he needs to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was definitely uh, caused issues. Um, just not in my life, but also, you know, my mom's personal life affected her life as well. Um, it was tough. It was tough. And um, so the 10th grade comes around, um, I think I went maybe like two weeks. I skipped every class. I maybe went to class like three times in those two weeks. Um, And so obviously I went to school one day. I didn't have a schedule to know what classes I was going to. So I went to the counselor's office and she, you know, punched my name in and all that good stuff. 
and proceeded to tell me that I was not even enrolled to be there. <laughs> and then if I didn't leave the campus of the high school, that they would call the police. Wow. Um, so she gave me a stack of papers to take home to my mom to fill out to enroll me in school. And I think my mom had just basically just was fed up at that point. And uh, so she just signed me out of school. And um, I don't blame her. You know, I mean, after everything I'd put her through, you know, I'm sure she just was at her wit's end. And and uh, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of when I really kind of started getting in, in trouble, trouble. Yeah. You know. Uh, well, I was going to ask you, like, what kind of people, what, what kind of people did you hang around with when you were going through all this? Oh, definitely. I mean, definitely people doing the same thing I was doing. You know, skipping school, going to friend's house, getting drunk or mm -hmm. smoking cigarettes or, you know, I really wasn't into uh, drugs at that time. Um, but still, you know, like I said, you know, getting drunk and smoking cigarettes and, you know, definitely people that uh, not not influenced me because I made my own decisions. Yeah, but feeling uh, like but, a rebel, know, feeling like a rebel. But you really, this, it sounds like to me, Mark, that you really didn't have any uh, role model or mentor to kind of be your guiding hand to be that that male figure to say, "Hey, you know, let's let's get this on the right track here." You've had a few bad years with the school part. Let's let's see if we can get it straight. Yeah, and you know, and that and that was something I struggled with. I mean, you know, I had a stepdad, um, but you know, there's always kind of that uh, "you're not my dad" thing, and so you, you know, it's it, it's kind of instinct, uh, especially you know, for me, is, is to kind of rebel mm -hmm. against that individual, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of when I really started like getting on the wrong, wrong path and just running the streets and, and staying out all night and, and one thing led to another. And yeah, well, you know, we'll get in. We'll well, get in I, I was, well, but I'm curious in that time period, cause you're, you'd be what, 16, maybe 16, 17, 15, yeah. 15 16, 17. Uh, did you, what were you, what were you thinking or feeling at that time? Did you, did you know that you were, rebelling it up did you know that this is not I, I, the right path or did you just kind of roll with the people you're with and this is what we're doing yeah i just kind of roll with it you know i mean i i, I mean I've, I've never been uh the person to like not know when they're doing something wrong i mean i definitely knew right and wrong um but i was always the kind of person like i would just do whatever i wanted to do and then just pay for the consequences later uh, whatever they may be, if there even was any. Yeah. Um, well, when was the, when you know, was the, go ahead. I, I think at that age, you know, you really are just trying to determine who you're going to be as an individual anyway. Right. You know. So the, uh, when was the first time that you really felt like you did something and you got in trouble and what, tell me about that. Um, I think really the first time that I was like, oh man, like this is like for real is it was probably about the same time. I was probably 14 or 15 years old. I uh, went into a local grocery store and uh, was shoplifting cigarettes okay, um, and got caught. Um, 
at that time, you know, cigarettes were out on the shelves. Right. You know, you could just go in the store and grab a pack of cigarettes, throw them in the cart or whatever, you know. And uh, the funny thing, I think about it, I laugh at myself all the time because I got caught uh, by the janitor of all people. <laughs> you know, it wasn't even an actual store employee. It was the janitor that caught me. Um, but I got arrested and went to Juneau Hall um, and sat there. And, and I, I don't really think it really got through a whole lot because uh, I didn't have to stay. Yeah. You know, I just got in trouble, went down there. They called my mom, had her come get me. And, uh, but I think I kind of, I mean, I kind of was like, oh man, I can't, can't be doing that. I don't want to go to jail. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I kind of laid low for a little while, but you know, I mean, eventually it just picked back up and, and uh, turned into obviously worse things than shoplifting cigarettes. Well, tell me about that. Cause you, you, I guess you probably just evolved because you had to make money. Um, right. What was your step into, you know, being that age and trying to make money? So, um, obviously, you know, at, at that age, I mean, you know, I had like zero work ethic. Um, you know, I didn't want to have a job. I, I tried several fast food places and, and, you know, I just, just uh, I'd rather be out smoking some weed or drinking some alcohol or, something like that and and so uh, just no work ethic so I would have to find ways to hustle money um, my first venture into that was trying to sell marijuana mm-hmm. um, but at the time I was smoking marijuana too so uh, my venture into uh, marijuana distribution was unsuccessful um, as I owed more money than I ever made right you were t- you were taking the supply <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was definitely, I was definitely dipping in the supply. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I, I attempted that for a while. Um, and like I said, I'd have little jobs here and there. Um, but what really started was, uh, I think I was about 16 or 17 and I had a family member who used to, uh, he was a couple years older than me. And uh, he'd come by my house at night, you know, because he'd be out going and partying. And he'd come by and knock on my window at night. And, you know, he'd be like, hey, you want to go party? And I'd be like, sure. So we'd go out party. Well, one night, he's like, well, we're going to go down to the creek. There's a party down at the rope swing. We're down there and party, whatever. So we stopped at a convenience store before we got there. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to do some crank. And I said, well, I've never done anything like that and I said but sure I'll give it a shot and uh, so I snorted a line of crank and at that time it was just it wasn't even I mean it was just dirty nasty just not that all of it's mm-hmm. all of it's dirty nasty this stuff who knows what was in it at that time mm-hmm. um, and I remember uh, just, just uh, the first time I did it I was I was hooked and uh, might explain crank it. you might exp- explain crank Mark, for those who don't know what that is. So crank is, um, it's a form of speed. Um, it was just less refined stuff than, than, you know, when I really got into what we were using then. Um, they use stuff like Vicks nasal inhalers and stuff like that to make it. So it was just, uh, like I said, who knows, you know, what was in it and what I was putting in my body at mm. that time. Um, 
but I, I you know, the, as soon as I done it, I, I loved it. I loved it. I felt, I felt the energy and the euphoria and it was just like, man, this is great. I've never felt this good in my life. And then I just had, well, I started meeting people that, you know, started doing this crank stuff. And the, my family member, he, you know, he was getting, you know, half pounds of this stuff at a time. And so I just asked him one time if he would front me an ounce of it. And I mean, it was just so fast and so easy. It was like, there's no way I could dip into the supply enough to not make any money. Mm -hmm. And then that just progressed into um, doing crank and selling crank. And then eventually I ran into this man who lived over in a town next to me uh, called Galena, Kansas. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, that place. Yeah, I've heard of that place. Very small uh, place. A uh, very um, stuck in time place, mm-hmm. um, but I think it was. Let's see, I was probably seventeen or eighteen, so I would say it was either ninety-five or ninety-six. I met this man. Uh, his name uh, was Dave, and the first thing that anyone ever told me before we ever went to his house was, "Hey, we're going to go to this guy's Dave house." And I just let you know, uh, he killed somebody. Uh, well, I'm 17. I never been around nobody that killed people, you know. I mean, that's yeah, that's a big just thing. Way out of my, yeah, I mean, that's just way out of the realm of anybody that I've ever like hung around or spent any time around. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went out to his house, and uh, that was my introduction into uh, the manufacturing of methamphetamine, um, cooking meth. Um, I'd never been around it before. I'd never seen it, and this guy was doing it, and uh, my family member actually left me at this man's house by myself, uh, and I was scared to death. I mean, what was you know, he? What I'm, was I'm, he like, Mark? What was the guy like that uh, you were with? He was very quiet, yeah. a very quiet individual. Um, obviously, you know, a very paranoid mm-hmm. individual. Um, I, I, I would like to elaborate, though, that uh, you know. Uh, the, the man that he did uh, kill, um, it was in self-defense, you know, but still, I mean, you know, you don't think about that at the time. You're just like, this man stabbed someone to death. That's crazy. Right. Um, and so I think after that, it was probably we, me and my family member, we kind of dabbled in like cooking meth, you know. Uh, learning things here and there and picking it up, um, trying different things. Um, and then eventually we ended up getting it down to where we kind of perfected it to where it was just great stuff all the time. Um, and, you know, when you get into, you know, hustling like that, you meet so many different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people I've been with people that's had hundreds of thousands of dollars and I've been with people that's had no money at all. Right. In the same place. Right. You know, there's no, there's no limits and, and no prejudice on drugs. Uh, right. You know, uh, uh, it don't matter. Like I said, I mean, you could be a multimillionaire or you could be homeless. Right. And it just matters. Yeah. 
So when you, but, Mark, when you got into doing this to the point where you got, you got good at it uh, and you could make it, the distributing part of it, was that, uh, did that come, did people know that you were doing this so that it was easier for you to distribute that out? Or did you have to go out and work that to the point where they knew you had the product? Well, Brent, I'll be honest with you. It was, uh, you know, I, I've had so many, um, quote unquote friends in my circle, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, it, it just sold itself. I, I mean, I never had to really go out and hustle to sell it. Uh, it, it was, as soon as I had it in my pocket, it was gone. Mm -hmm. So Mark, the walking, walking through that and, and seeing that come, you know, come to basically a business that you're manufacturing, you're, you're making it, you're selling it. Uh, when did everything come down on you? When, when was the, uh, the knock on the door thing where you knew something bad was going to come down? So the, how, how it really went is, um, I had, uh, I had started, cooking the meth and I cooked it for quite some time. I would say probably four or five years. Okay. Um, and then the state of Missouri, what they started doing was they, um, they started making it where it was harder to get the things that you needed to get to manufacture methamphetamine. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they don't want it done in the United States. Right. You know, um, and so, I started noticing this stuff that was coming in and people were calling it ice. Um, and it was nothing that I had ever seen before. You know, it was like big shards of crystals, mm -hmm. like almost like quartz crystals is what it looked like. And, um, I started seeing more and more of it coming around. And, um, I was hanging out with some people who knew, um, a Mexican guy. Um, and I got to know this Mexican guy and it was so hard to produce my own drugs that I'm looking for something, you know, an, an easier option mm -hmm. to still hustle and make money. Um, so I met this Mexican guy and he started fronting me, um, this, um, ice, um, cheap. I mean, you know, it's so cheap. It was just like, I don't know how I can't make money. And, and, and it was, you know, it was good, good product. So was it like meth? Quality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a form of meth. I, I, I don't know much about it, to be honest with you. Um, but it is speed. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure most of it's manufactured down in Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it, I don't know anything about like the process of how to make it or anything like that. But Mark, I'm um, curious, I'm curious when you're, you're involved in all this, uh, are you yourself addicted to the product? Are you, are you, so you're taking it, selling it, distributing it. And it's all, yeah. a, it's all a rush. It's all an adrenaline rush of, yeah. You know, you got, you got money, you got women, you got drugs, you don't have to work, you mm -hmm. have no responsibilities. Easy come, easy go. 
Did you ever run into a situation where you thought you were close to getting caught before you got caught? Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I have dodged, uh, I dodged the bullet several times. Uh, but ultimately in the end I paid for every bit of it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I went, um, I left the house one time to go home and take a shower and on my way back, I, the neighbor just happened to see me and stopped me. So you're going back out there. And I said, yeah, they said the cops are there. Cops that came and kicked the door in and busted them for cooking dope just in that short time that I was gone. You know, wow. I mean, I could have been there that easy. That's happened several times. Well, tell me, it tell just, me the day, tell me, tell me the day that it all happened. So it was, uh, I believe it was October 24 of 2004. Uh, it was about 5.30 in the morning. Um, at this point, I had quit selling drugs. Um, I had gotten a job. Uh, worked for a steel supply company. Um, I was still getting high, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I was still doing drugs. Um, but I was trying to make that turn. I felt like, you know, um, and I, I, you know, I'd never been in any trouble before. So were you, you know? that's, that's interesting though, Mark. You you were making the turn. Was it because of those, uh, those run-ins that you almost had that maybe scared you stiff to the point where you're like, okay, I need to, I need to, slow this down. I need to I get think, myself into a real job here and see if I can make this work on the other side. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think I was really just, uh, at that point I was just tired, tired of it, you know, yeah. I, worn out. You know, I didn't, didn't want to live that life anymore. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, um, so yeah, it was like, like I said, I, you know, I'd, I'd never been in any trouble before. Yeah. Um, I'd never even, I'd never been to county jail. I'd never been arrested for any drugs. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing I'd ever been to jail for, uh, like I said, was shoplifting and then like driving on suspended license. Right. You know, yeah. so I had no, no, no idea, no inkling, nothing that they were coming for me. I had no clue. Um, and so yeah, they came to my house about 5.30 in the morning, and uh, unfortunately at that time I was staying with my mother, um, and my two little sisters were there, um, and they had to go through all that, you know. They kicked the door in, uh, sleeping on the couch, uh, woke up with a pistol in my face, uh, telling me to get on the ground. Uh, obviously my mom, you know, she's like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. My little sisters, they pulled guns on them. Mm. And it's, you know, they're telling my mom I'm a drug dealer and so on and so forth. And so I don't know what, like, I don't know what it was inside me. It was just something that was like, maybe I knew that it was coming or something like subconsciously yeah. it was in there because well, I just accepted it. What was running through your mind that day that when you're laying on the ground there, you got a pistol to your head, do you see the little sisters that are crying, your mom's being told that, you know, they're saying you're a horrible person. What, what's, what's racing through your head? You know what? I'm a, I'm just going to be, uh, you know, this is probably, um, the most brutally honest that I've been in a long time. Um, it was anger towards anger. them. No shame for what I did. Um, no regret. 
him and happened to go through that, uh, it was anger towards him uh, because I cared about myself more than anything else mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, but that's what drugs do to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they, 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 they arrested me um, and uh, took me to Springfield Federal Courthouse. Uh, my mom had called up there and asked him, you know, how could she get me out? Or they said, man, they told my mom that I would be released that same day. And I was like, there ain't, you know, they told me the same thing. I'm like, there ain't no way. You know, why would you go through all of this to send in the DEA, the FBI? Uh, you know, you put in all these man hours to come to my house and arrest me just to let me go the same day. Um, so I sat in the, um, federal courthouse in the holding cell for several hours um, had to uh, do an interview with a gentleman named Brian Campbell uh, who um, out of all the Federal Bureau of Prisons things I had to deal with that man uh, was a very good man okay he was a pretrial officer uh, but they just basically asked questions about leaving the country if you have a passport and really, the way you answer them questions determines on if they're going to let you go that day or not. Uh, they determined me not to be a flight risk. Uh, so I went into the courtroom that day and signed uh, more or less like an OR bond. Mm-hmm. And they let me out that day. Okay. And I just, I couldn't believe that I was a free man after all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that just started the process of uh, dealing with these people for 14 years of my life. Because um, I got in trouble in 04, and they pr- put me on what's uh, called pretrial release. Um, and I just was always knew that I was going to prison. And so I didn't change my life mm-hmm. at all. Um, I was doing drugs. I was at people's house that was cooking meth. Um, I think, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but uh, one time I even went out and helped a guy steal a four-wheeler. Um, you know, it was like, what are you going to do to me? Mm-hmm. This is all after, this is all after they broke down your door. Yeah, this is all afterwards. And so I'm on pretrial. Uh, obviously, I'm still getting high, so I'm giving them dirty UAs. Then I found, at the head shop, I found this um, synthetic urine that you can buy and you mix it with water. And I had this whole... I mean, it's, it's just sad, really, when you think about it, the lengths that people will go mm-hmm. to continue to just get high. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a whole setup of this little pouch that I could put under my arm that had like a hose that would run down to my genital area, and I could just push a button, and it looked like I was peeing. Wow. And I bet you I did that 30 times with them. And... Finally, I gave them too many dirty UAs, and they violated me. Um, I remember the day before I was going to court for revocation hearing, um, I was still doing drugs. You know, I stayed up all night the night before, and I remember I went to the courthouse and uh, met my attorney there, and it was just all over me. You know, my attorney even asked me, she's like, are you on drugs? And I said, yeah, I said, you know, I said, what are the chances of me going home today? And she said, probably none. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I got high. And uh, that started it, man. It was uh, 
January 10th of 2006, they re uh, revoked my um, free trial and put me in Osceola County Jail, um, which was a huge shock for me because, like I said, I'd never been to county jail before. Yeah, county jails know where you want to be. No, I tell people all the time I would rather go to prison than have to sit in county jail. Yep. Um, and then I, you know, I was in Osceola for a while. I bounced around to uh, three different county jails in five months. I think I moved five times in five months. Boy, that's a lot of having to set up and meet new people and figure out where your space is. And that's well, <laughs> that's torture all in itself. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, anybody that's that's been to county jail, they know, uh, especially as, as a federal hold, uh, they just – at the middle of the night, tell you pack your stuff. You're leaving in the morning. Yeah, you know, and no idea where you're going. Yeah, and I uh, had to do that five times, um, and I think it was uh, June seventh of two thousand and six was my sentencing date, and uh, went to uh, went to court and sat there, and my attorney had told me that I would probably get eleven years and three months. Well, you know they do those PSIs, pre-sentence investigation, and that really determines on how much time you're going to get. Sure. Well, my charge, I knew I was going to get at least 10 years. I mean, there was that's the minimum I could have got. I could have got any less. So when she told me I'd get 11 years in three months, I signed the plea bargain because mm. it's what I thought I would get. And uh, went to court, and they gave me 168 months. Wow. 14 years it's a lot of time a lot of time uh, and you know i mean i never in my life would have thought a first time non-violent drug offender could be sentenced to 14 years in federal prison so what happens after that mark you get 14 years i know your mind had to have been spinning in in all kinds of directions where do you go after that so totally devastated Obviously, uh, you know, I mean, you, you, you feel like your life is over. How old are you then? You look, uh, 27. 27, okay. 27 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, you're just, I mean, 14 years seems like forever. Mm -hmm. And you're like, man, I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to be in there forever. Um, so they give me 14 years. My mom's there. My grandma's there. Um, I asked the marshals, you know, if I could give my mom a hug and, and, you know, one of them was real rude, like, oh no, you can't touch her. And then another guy, he stepped in, he's like, no, you can absolutely give her a hug. Um, so they took me back to the, to the holding cell, um, sat there, marshal came back, he was just super nice, um, asked me what county jail I wanted to go back to. Um, at that time, I was in Greene County, and if anybody's listened to this podcast that's been there, they know that place is absolutely horrendous. Yeah, I know a couple of guys. That, one guy that was there for 16 months, um, and he, I think he lost 150 or 60 pounds while he was in there. Oh, I bet. It's, it's one of the worst places I've ever been. Um, so he was nice enough. Uh, he sent me back to Osceola. Uh, I stayed there for like three weeks and then they took me back to Greene County. Um, I spent the night and, 
That's my first contact with the Federal Bureau of Prisons. They came to get us the next morning, um, took me to the Oklahoma City Transfer Center, uh, which is another horrible ordeal if anybody ever has to go through there. Uh, you get there in the morning, you sit in a holding cell all day. Uh, they finally get you processed in. And then, you know, I mean, you know the process. You can be there anywhere from a day to three months. Well, yeah, you just don't don't know. know. They don't say anything either, right? And so, fortunately, I was only there that day. Okay. Um, They came. uh, They came in. They told me uh, pack stuff. Um, They woke me up at three o'clock in the morning and put me on a bus, and I went to uh, FCI Texarkana, Texas. Um, Another shock. Obviously, I've never been to any kind of facility like that before. Um, and obviously intimidated because, you know, one, it's a federal prison, two, it's in Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's heard horror stories about Texas prisons. Yeah. So, uh, immediately, you know, and I'm intimidated anyway, just because I don't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it was a fairly, fairly nice facility. Um, lots of gangs, mm-hmm. lots of gangs. Um, is that a medium or a low? It's a low. Yeah. Uh, they have a camp right next to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot like Aryan Brotherhood and Dirty White Boys, uh, MS-13. I mean, you there's gangs in there that I've never even heard of. Mm-hmm. How did you handle that? You know, I, I was a loner. Um for the most part, uh, you know, um, people can take it however they want, but you know, when you're in a facility like that, uh, it's very segregated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if anything mm-hmm. was to happen, you know, it's like, uh, if you're white, you gotta be with the white boys, you know? Um, and so there was kind of just a mutual respect between that. Um, and so I was never like pushed up on or, or, like, uh, and tried to like recruit me to join anything or anything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I just have to let them know from the get go, you know, I, I respect y'all. Uh, but that's, I don't, I don't get down like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was never part of that. Um, you get involved in stuff like that in there. Uh, you're, you are no longer an individual, right? You got to make the, you've got to, there's certain moves that happen that the low man on the totem pole has to do. And, and you can get into all kinds of more time, just by being part of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, if one of you mess up, they're locking all of you. Exactly. Yeah. Getting around it. And, and, you know, I'm probably catching flack for it or whatever, but you know, then then guys, they pray, they pray on young kids, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they get them in there and and what we would call them, we call them crash test dummies Uh, because these people are going to send them out to do their dirt. And then when they get in a wreck with the cops, uh, they're, they're on their own, mm-hmm. you know? but these young kids, they don't know any better. They want to get in there and, and be a part of something. So Mark, what was your strategy knowing that you didn't know this and you know, it's all segregated. There's gangs all around you. What, how, what strategies did you use being in there? What, how did you handle it? What was. So, you know, I, I was, I was pretty fortunate. Um, I met a, a, a gentleman by the name of Doug, uh, and as soon as I got in there, man, that guy was there. And obviously, you know, 
Uh, you hear the stories, you oh, you don't take nothing from nobody in prison. It's nothing's for free and all this. Well, this guy, you know, he came up to me. He's like, man, you need anything? I got you. You know, gave me some shower shoes, mm-hmm. soap, and all that stuff. He's like, you don't owe me anything. And it was him and another guy named Ernie. And they kind of just took me under their wing and, and kind of showed me the ropes. And, and uh, Have they know. been there a while, Mark? Yeah, they had probably been there for about uh, four or five years yeah. already. Um, well, shower shoes, shower shoes are gold. <laughs> oh, they are gold. <laughs> when you they arrive at a prison, you don't know that. Nobody tells you that. But shower shoes, yeah. somebody offers you shower shoes, you take them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and you no, remember that, that too. Yeah, uh, for future reference, hopefully nobody <laughs> ever knows. But if you do, you're going to need some shower. You're going to need some shower shoes. Absolutely. So you did. Uh, you, so you. So Mark, you were smart about the fact you kind of looked to see who was uh, getting along, getting it right in there, and they they helped you out. Yeah. Um, you know, I had um, I had spoken to my dad previously in the past about going to prison. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he always told me he said I don't want to tell you about it because then you probably wouldn't be scared to go. Mm-hmm. Well, I was scared to go anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not no tough guy, nothing like that. You know, I'm not uh, there to intimidate anybody. But, you know, like, I mean, I never had any problems from anybody. Like, uh, nobody I, – I don't even think I ever even had an argument with anyone. Yeah. How long were nobody you there ever, at Texarkana? I was there for almost three years. Okay. Uh, and uh, – Got my GED there. Okay. Uh, uh, took a vocational culinary arts class there, which was really cool. We didn't have any of that at Leavenworth. No, uh, no. Uh, and then I took a vocational um, electrical theory. Okay. Uh, so I just, uh, anything that I could do to better myself with an education, Yeah. Um, I took total advantage of it. It's so commendable though, Mark, because you know, there's so many guys uh, that don't do that, you know, and, and if you can't find yourself in the worst situation and if somebody's giving you something where you can, first of all, the other thing I think is it busy, it busies your mind to uh, be focused on something else. And I think that's a big deal. You know, like when I was up at the food warehouse, you know, just learning how to get, drive the forklift and get forklift certified and those things, those things make you think, you know, like it's almost like you're in your own tunnel. And if you kind of stay within you, you start feeling like yourself again. So you don't feel like, Oh my God, I'm in this monstrosity of a horrible situation, but I'm learning instead. I'm learning some new things. Yeah. It it gives you some structure. Yeah. Structure is a good word. um, Almost, you know, like you said, almost puts you to where, you know, you're like, yourself again yeah um you're not uh, even though you're under their eye you know you're still you mm-hmm. and i think that that's where a lot of people uh, in, in prison get lost you know is is they feel like they're lost mm-hmm. they can't they can't find themselves um and it's hard i know it's hard like you know um i used to i used to kind of be like oh man that guy only got a year and a day what's he complaining about but in hindsight, a year and a day is too long. A, a day's too long. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, I, and, and you, 
Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's, you know, it, it's a lot of it too is, is that you don't know until you know. And, you know, whether, and all those people do their time differently too. And, and like you're saying, some people get completely lost in the, in the structure of the system. They call that institutionalized to where they are afraid to step out of anything and they're just in this bad, terrible rut and they need to just slip further down into that rut. And one of the things you're talking about is you're looking at 14 years, you're in a bad place, but you took advantage and got a GED and started doing things that you could get some skills on and that uh, had to start making you feel better, like you're, you're making a difference in your life, even though you're in a bad situation. I'm going to tell you, uh, without a doubt, 100%, I, I gained more um, to make my life more beneficial for my family, my kids, and myself in prison than I ever did as an adult before that on the streets. Yeah. Um, how, it gave did, me that did, How that long? I needed. How, so you were there in Texarkana for three years. Where did you go after that? I went to Leavenworth. So that you were three uh, years there, and then you went to Leavenworth, okay? So I was about three years in, and they told me that uh, my points were low enough that I was camp eligible. Okay. Uh, and so, um, if you transfer from a low, uh, to a camp, um, they ask you where you want to go. Now, whether you get to go there or not, that's another story, but you can put in a recommendation and, you know, they quote unquote, try to do the best they can for you. So I had put in to transfer to El Reno, Oklahoma because several of the gentlemen that I was incarcerated with in Texas had transferred there. So I knew once I got there, I would be comfortable. And, you know, people already knew it was already there. Mm -hmm. um, and I really wasn't even counting on getting to the camp the first time anyway, because I had seen so many people uh, put in for it and be denied their first time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went ahead and put in for it. Uh, and he came back and told me, he said, you're going to Leavenworth. And I said, well, I don't want to go then. I said, that's not where I wanted to go. I don't want to go. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll just stay here. I'm comfortable here. I'll just stay here. He said, you can't do that. He said, if you don't go, they'll write you a shot for refusing programming. And then you're going to get thrown in the hole. And then they'll ship you wherever they want to after that. Mm -hmm. That so, probably changed so your mind. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, let's do it then. Mm-hmm. And so they gave me a date. They're like, three weeks, you're leaving. So that date comes. I'm obviously, I'm like, man, I'm ready to go. They tell me, you want to go to the chow hall and eat dinner before you leave? Because they actually gave me a furlough. Um, they took me to the Greyhound bus station in Texarkana, Arkansas, and dropped me off with a bus ticket to go to Leavenworth, Kansas, all by myself. I still, at that time, I think I still had almost nine years to do. Wow. Um, and they kept telling me, you know, they're like, well, we're only going to give you like $15 to eat on, you know, so you might want to eat dinner. So I get up to the uh, R&D to get taken to the bus station, and they gave me, I think they gave me like $112. Wow. I was like, man, why are you, I didn't. I didn't say anything. I just folded it up and put it in my pocket. Um, 
so it was really weird how it all happened. I, I, I took, I got on the Greyhound, which, you know, after three years of being incarcerated, which was weird anyway, uh, people obviously are looking at you in your sweats and your white t-shirt, and right. know, you're probably coming to prison. So, yeah. uh, got on a bus and, and rode that thing and it actually stopped here in Joplin. Wow. Um, stopped at the Greyhound bus station and my mom and my brother and his wife and their baby met me up there. Um, how was that? I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even go outside. Had you seen them uh, for three years? Yeah. They, they come to visit quite often. Okay. Um, but I, I wouldn't even step outside that bus station. I didn't want, did not want any kind of temptation, uh, uh, to not get back on that bus and go. Yeah. Get back on the bus, drive all the way from Joplin to Leavenworth, get to the, well, actually Kansas City. I got to the Kansas City bus station, and that's why they gave me so much money is they were expecting me to call a taxi from the Kansas City bus station to Leavenworth. Well, it just so happened when I got there, the town driver was dropping someone off at the bus station. And he's like, hey, are you going to Leavenworth? He didn't even know me. He just seen me in my sweats. He just knew. Yeah. And he knew. He's like, you going to Leavenworth? And I said, yeah. And he said, get in. And uh, I still had a lot of cash left over. So I gave it to him. Uh, so when I got down to the camp, he'd give me a bunch of books of stamps. Yeah. Um, which he did. You know, was obviously, you know, in a new place, dude's like, give me some cash. Like, well, I don't know if I can trust this dude, but. Anyway, I'm going to have to give it back to them if I don't give it to him anyway. So, sure. No, I was smart. Uh, but he told me, he said, uh, he said, they're going to throw you in the hole. And I said, well, why are they going to throw me in the hole if I had to wait three weeks before I transfer? They make you wait so your paperwork can get there before you do so they don't have to throw you in the hole. And he said, well, because of the H1N1 at the time, and I had gotten the furlough, I had been out in public, they had to quarantine me. And I'm gonna tell you right now that that is the most intimidating, the most horrible experience that I've ever, that I had the whole time. Um, obviously new to Leavenworth, um, and if nobody's ever seen Leavenworth prison, the big house is very intimidating. Yeah. I don't care who you are, you. You can be the hardest hardened criminal you want to. You're going to have some intimidation when you walk up on that place. Yeah, I agree with that. They got me out and, yeah, and they took me into R&D, and they said, we're on shift change, so you're probably going to be sitting in a holding cell for a while. So I sat there, and then they came and got me, and did you ever walk through the big prison, Brent? Well, I did one time when they had a lockdown and I was working at the food warehouse. And so I had to go in with the CEO with the truck, the food truck, and we had to deliver uh, the bag nasties. We had to deliver all those out. And and it was the creepiest, weirdest looking place. I mean, the shiniest floors you'll ever see. And those inmates walk on both sides of that. They can't walk in the middle. It was really weird. It It was like you were from outer space or something. Yeah, and I was going to mention that. I was going to tell anybody, uh, if you ever go there, do not walk on the bricks. Uh, the bricks are not made for inmates to walk on. Um, and if you get, if you walk on them, they will put you on that wall, I promise. Mm-hmm. So that was intimidating to begin with. They're like, you do not walk in the middle of this hallway. 
da da da. I said, okay. So they took me through like a lieutenant's office and out that and into another building and then took me downstairs into this building. And it was the closest thing that I could ever imagine a dungeon mm. being like. Like it's no exaggeration. I'm, I'm not trying to church it up any um, very skinny hallway. And then they had your typical gel door with the bean hole on it. Uh, when they unlocked that, it was a set of bars um, and another set of bars. Uh, and then just a concrete slab um, with a real thin mattress. Um, and they put me in that thing. Uh, hardly any light in there. Now, there's a window, but you know how those windows are. They're just, uh, you know, uh, all foggy. You can't see out of them mm -hmm. or nothing. Um, it took them four hours or so to even get me a blanket and a sheet. Um, and I sat in that place for three days. Wow. No what, what a welcome! Contact. What a welcome to Leavenworth. I know, right? Uh, and then they came and got me on day three, and they said we're going to take you upstairs. And they took me to the hole up there, and it was like the Hilton uh, compared to what I was in, and I couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, I sat there for a day, and then they came and got me and took me to Leavenworth, and uh, that was uh, that was my uh, ten year at Leavenworth. I, I was there for almost six years. It's a long time. What was your thoughts after being in a low, then going to the hole, and then finally getting down to the camp? It, 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 it's like night and day. Uh, you get to a low, you have uh, you have controlled moves. Um, you know, you get where you're going in five minutes, and if you're not there by the time the movement's over, you're stuck for an hour. Uh, there's no come and go as you please uh the camp the camp was like night and day well you know i go going back a little bit mark getting in there for three days into that that hell hole what were you thinking because that 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 had to be because you didn't know how long you were going to be in there what was yeah, what, what no, was going uh, through your mind you know man uh i i i think really uh depression mm-hmm you know, like you said, you don't know how long you're going to be in there. And, and all, all you're thinking is, man, I just want to get out of here. Mm -hmm. I just want to get out of here. Uh, and then that just makes it go by even slower. Um, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough mentally. Uh, it's tough emotionally, physically. Um, you know, I really, I really pity uh, the guys that they do that to for, for years and years. Oh, gosh. You know, I got a friend of mine that he went in. Um, just at the wrong time. It was with COVID starting, and he was supposed to be uh, going to a camp. And he went, as you do, check in to the to the um, like the place like Leavenworth, and they kept him in solitary yeah. confinement for I think it was eight weeks, almost two months. And I can't even, you know not being ever in prison and your first experience is to be locked down because they're, they're quarantining you that long and you would be, uh, your mind would be. And I think, you know, the guys, I even noticed Mark, when the guys got thrown in the hole and came back, they looked a little different, you know, they, after being there yeah. for three or four weeks, they really Absolutely. did. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it definitely takes a toll on you. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, 
being, like I said, mentally, and, and then that leads to, you know, physically. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, you're, if your mind's not right, we, we all know our body pays the price when your mind's not right, too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just, uh, it's a horrible thing to do to people. I mean, I understand, you know, uh, you know, you're in there and, and you're in trouble. So, you know, you shouldn't be getting in trouble. Right. And while you're in there, you've already gotten trouble to be there. But, uh, you know, surely there's some some other way. Yeah, it's mind that, torture. That mind torture. Well, it is cruel. I was just going to say it is cruel and unusual punishment. And, and uh, people aren't built for that. Your mind isn't built for that. So you get down to the camp and you, that's your six years there. Uh, Cause I remember yeah. when, you know, seeing you, you were uh, kind of a hardworking guy. I think were you on, were you on landscaping? I was, uh, worked at the army base. At the army base at Leven, Fort Leavenworth. Roads and grounds. Roads and grounds. That's right. Um, actually, my first job at Leavenworth uh, was at the food warehouse. Okay. It, uh, with Noel? I, it, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, crazy, crazy, crazy. I walked in the door um, and um, let's see, who was the, it uh, was, uh, oh, I can't remember. Uh, Ken LeMaster. Yeah. Uh, Ken LeMaster was the boss up there at the time. Uh, I just walked in the door. He said, can you drive a forklift? And I said, yes, I can. Uh-huh. He said, come see me tomorrow. And I, and I walked right into that job. That was my first day at Leavenworth. That's a pretty good job to have, I think, at Leavenworth was, at the food warehouse. But the roads and grounds crew uh, up at Fort, Fort Leavenworth was a good job, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I worked there for a, a while, and then I, I, I got a job there at the receiving depot. Um, and I did that for a while, and you know all them them CEOs that work there are also in commissary. Uh, so uh, Mr. Grace, uh, nobody really liked him, but that man for some reason he liked me. I don't know why, but uh, he recruited me to the commissary. I remember you I doing the commissary. commissary for a couple of years, seeing you behind that yeah. the, the glass there. You guys, we give uh-huh. you we give you our sheets, and you yeah, you shop for us. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I had, you know, that's that one thing, you know, people come up to you all the time when you work there and be like, Oh, take my slip in the morning. Take my slip. I'll give you 10 stamps. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. But, uh, and then, uh, yeah. They, and then they offered me a job over at the army base. And, and I mean, you know, I just always assume when I get out, I'm, I'm going to be doing some physical labor mm-hmm. and I'd already been sitting around on my, my fat tail for, you know, seven, eight years, uh, you know, I was like, man, I got to get out there and get ready. Mm-hmm. And uh, started working over there. I loved it. I'm going to tell you, if I could go work there now, I would do it. Yeah. It, that was the most free that I ever felt the whole time I was in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know that. Go over that. That that particular, you know, I, I, I got to work. I think there were five of us that got to work at the uh, Fort Leavenworth golf course. And, you know, it was a it was a good job. The guys treated us like we weren't inmates. Uh, I learned yeah. everything that I would have never have learned on the outside of how to cut greens and fairways and to cut down trees and do all this stuff that I would never have known how to do. But the most the the biggest feeling about that was is working for those guys. Uh, 
uh, Drew and Mike that did treat us like inmates. And, you know, for those hours that we had, we felt like we were uh, free men. Yeah. And then you go yeah. back to, then you go back to prison. <laughs> yeah. Right. Three thirty, load yeah. up and go back to prison. Right. And it was all dream. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, it was really neat over there for me. Uh, you know, I had my own truck, um, had a trailer, um, and me and, uh, Brett Turner, you remember him? Yep. Yep. He worked with me. So him and I would load up our lawnmowers, you know, we'd just go out and cut grass all day. And, yeah. But yeah, I just got towards the end of my time and took that drug program, um, to get the year off. Right. You were, I think you were a couple of classes ahead of me. We were, when I was coming in, I think you were, I, we were in the D, uh, D1, D2, but I think you were a couple, you were, you were leaving when I was coming in. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I did that whole thing and, and then didn't even need it. Yeah. I didn't need it. You got yeah, yeah. Eric Holton and Barack Obama came through and did the point reduction. Know. Yeah, and so I knew, uh, I knew that it also entailed four months of aftercare uh, when I got out. Uh, so I just signed out of it, uh, even though I completed it in there. Right. Uh, Nine months. I just, yeah, I just signed out of it uh, before I left. I told Doctor Wells that I didn't need it. Yeah. So, Mark, tell me now. You've you've you finally get to the end of this, you know, you've, you've taken classes, you got your GED, you, you're, you're basically mowing the army camp over at Fort Leavenworth. Uh, you're now you're close to the door. What are you feeling? Uh, fear. Yeah. Uh, total and utmost fear. Um, and what's going on on the outside with your, your mom and your family and all that? Uh, you know, not a lot changed. Okay. Um, you know, obviously they lived their lives and, and you know, uh, you know, little, little kids pop up here and there and stuff, you know, but, uh, like my mom, you know, she, she maintained, uh, the same household and, and everything on her own. Uh, she done good. Bless her heart for that. Uh, I was scared. Yeah. It, you know, the, I had done. Isn't that a funny phenomenon I, though? That how that happens? The, the fear of getting back into society, how how will it be? How will I be? What's going to happen? Yeah. You know, I lived, I lived my life the same way every single day for nine years and seven months. Yeah. Um, to just say, hey, time to do something different. Mm -hmm. So I was scared. You know, I was scared, uh, I was scared to go to the halfway house. I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Um, but shout out to Alpha House in Springfield, man. They were awesome. That's great. Uh, my first day there, they gave me a pass to go have dinner with my family. That's fantastic. So, yeah, so I was there. Uh, you know, so, so they, they did. They passed that deal, and, and, and Eric Holder and Obama. Um, and, you know, uh, you're supposed to get 180 days halfway house, uh, but it put me so close to the door that I only got 60 days. Okay. Uh, which was really beneficial for me because I was only at the halfway house for two weeks uh, mm -hmm. before they sent confinement. Um, and then Springfield, uh, they had a deal for a while. Even if you were on home confinement, you still had to pay them part of your. Yeah. It's like 25% of your gross pay. Yeah. 
Um, they actually cut that out a couple years ago. Um, if you're on home confinement, you don't have to pay them, which I always complained about it anyway. Yeah. I said, I don't know why I'm paying y'all anything if I'm not staying here. Right. Um, but I was there for a couple weeks and then, uh, came home. Um, they told me I had to have a job, uh, before I could go home. Um, and so my sister, my oldest sister's, uh, husband, his parents owned a restaurant. Um, I hate restaurant work but <laughs> at that point. I, um, so, you know, I'm not too good to work anywhere, uh, especially if it means to go home. Um, so I worked there and I, I worked there for a couple weeks. Uh, and then, like I said, before I got locked up, I was working at a company called Boyd Metals. Uh, which is still supply company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked there up until the day that they revoked my, my supervision. Um, well, even though it had been 10 years, uh, when I got out, uh, one of the guys that used to work there was a supervisor and he's actually the foreman. Uh, I just went up there and told him, I said, man, I need a job. I said, I can't do the restaurant thing. It's not, not for me. Uh, and he gave me a job. That's great. And I worked there, worked there for uh, almost four years. Mm-hmm. Um, just got tired of management um, and spontaneously decided to walk out on them, uh, which was very scary also. Yeah. Uh, and then I bounced around a couple jobs here and there um, and uh, found a job with my uh, sister-in-law's uncle. Um he was starting a little business uh, that he had going in his garage. Uh, and I just went over there and started like cutting his grass and weed eating for him and just odd jobs here and there. Well, his business ended up getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And he ended up buying a shop and I helped him move in over there and it's just progressed from there. Um, kind of, I guess I'm kind of like the operations manager. That's, um, that's I, great, Mark. That's, yeah, I, that's I great. Um, Mark, don't you think, don't you think too, that, uh, first of all, you got to have the guts and grit to go ask for a favor because, you know, you went back to the place you'd been before. You knew the guy. He gave you an opportunity. That's one of the things that when we have these talks and these podcasts is, that, you know, that person that gives you that opportunity that's such a big deal at the time because you're just wanting an opportunity to get back in society but i'm intrigued by the fact that you took that opportunity and then you saw another opportunity and now you're into something that i can just tell by the way you're talking about it you like it i love it i yeah. love it it's uh, i you know i've never worked uh, for a place like this uh the, just the work atmosphere the work family that's uh, great i've, I've I've never had a better job in my life. That's fantastic. Uh, we're, and we're, you know, we're e-commerce. Yeah. Um, we do everything online. Uh, so we're not open to the public or anything like that. And uh, I don't have to, I don't have to go out and kill myself every day. <laughs> do the hard labor. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, I, that's, that leads me to a good question here, I think, is what, what do you appreciate most after having to go through all that junk mud you know swim through it all what what do you appreciate the most about being out now the thing that means more to me than anything in my life is my children and my family yeah that means i mean that really means more to to me than anything that's what Uh, you value that's what kept me um, 
clean and sober in yeah. prison. Yeah. And it's what kept me clean and sober and on the right path so far for the last six years I've been out. That's fantastic. You know, uh, January, uh, I haven't touched drugs for 16 years. It's a long time. Long time. And, uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, you were locked up for 10 years. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. You, you, know you can find the stuff in there if you're looking for it. Now, I'll tell you, I've seen, I've seen people smoking glass pipes in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's you can get anyone in there. Yep. But, you know, I always look at it like I've already I already made that mistake. Right. And to get away with it or not, why take the chance of, you know, smoking a little something? And then, you know, the routine, uh, Glover, report to the bubble. Yep. Drop a UA on you. And then, you know, then what do you go tell your, your family? Yeah. And your it's embarrassing. Hey. Yeah, it's very embarrassing. I didn't learn anything. You know, I'm, I'm still doing the same thing. Yeah. It just, it's well, just I, not worth it. Mark, I, I like the story because you you went through, you know, a hard a hard growing up stage. Uh, you've you had you got the hardest, you know. I mean, they they sent you to fourteen years, and you had to go through some really bad places. But you used that time uh, to better yourself, and I can just tell by the way you're talking now, you feel good. You feel I good. Do. What what would you what would you say what would you want to say to the people listening out here to to wrap things up? You know the biggest thing is, man, is no matter what you think, your life can always be different. You know, if you take the initiative to put forth the effort that you know is inside you as an individual, you can change your life. You know. Um, I tell people all the time, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm 10 times better than I've ever been. I love that. And, and, and that's all you can ask for. Yeah. You know, and thank you. People just uh, apply the want to have a better life. It, it's, it's, it's very easily possible. Yeah. It's a mindset change. And, you know, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. And it's the mindset that makes you – take that step forward into the fear of the unknown and then it becomes, you know, familiar. I like that. That's good stuff, Mark. I appreciate it, Brent. Good I appreciate stuff. you having me. You was know, always a good dude and I always liked you. And, and you know, you was always one that went around that did that right there, man. He's always smiling. <laughs> you know? and, and it's hard, it's hard to find in there, you know? Yeah. It's hard to find a smile in there sometimes. Um, well, I appreciate that. Doable. Really do, Mark. It's, it's doable. And, and, and you know, um, prison's tough. You know, uh, mentally it's tough. Uh, emotionally it's tough. Uh, but it don't, it don't have to define who you are. No. I, and that's, it, a, that's the thing. It doesn't define you. And, and the thing that I see that the reason why that's such a strong statement, Mark, is you used it. You used it to make a better situation for yourself, and that's that says a lot. Uh, I'm proud of you and proud of what you've been doing. It's a good story. Right. So, so what you I, say? You know, I, I just, uh, I just, it, it gave me a better life. I mean, as, as, as weird as that sounds, prison gave me a better life. That's something. One, it forced me. 
it forced me to grow up. Um, I may have been 27 when I went in there, but I was still just a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, unfortunately in prison it's feast or famine. Um, you know, if you go in there and, and people think they can take advantage of you, they will. Absolutely. You got to know where you stand and then they know you where do. you stand. Uh, right. And, and, you know, and that, and that's why really, you know, people that, uh, I only had to go to Leavenworth. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm happy for them people. Yeah. I'm happy because, you, you know, that place is that place is pretty laid back. Uh, we took everything we had and made the best of what we had, and, and that's all you can do. That's all you can do. I think we'll end it there, Mark. That's a good way to end it. Everybody, right, um, thanks for listening here today. Uh, I, as some of you might have seen my post, I have uh, my book that came out late last week, Nightmare Success, and uh, it's available on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. So appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate the likes, support, listening to my guys here on the podcast. Thank you so much. Nightmare Success, in and out.